The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk. I'm Carrie Charles, your host. So happy that you've joined me today. We have an exciting episode for you. My guest today is Cesar Ruiz. He is the president and CEO of Learning Alliance Corporation. Cesar is the president of LAC, but let me tell you a little bit about it. They provide over 50 national apprenticeships in high-skilled, high-wage, targeted occupations in telecommunications, renewable energy, wind and solar, IT, and manufacturing. So the Learning Alliance has been awarded a five-year contract by T-Mobile and other telecom industry leaders of $2 million per year to support diversity and career laddering within the industry. The purpose of this initiative is to bring 150 new diverse technicians per year into the industry in order to address the massive workforce shortage while engaging and providing a diverse workforce for the future. Cesar, thank you for joining me today. Gary, nice job. You sounded great doing that. Oh, thank uh, you. I ever, if I ever need anyone to give us any more constructive feedback, like I think you're going to be the first person I call. I love it. I'll give you a big discount too. <laughs> Cesar, let's jump right into this because there's a lot to cover here. First question is, I know that you work with just under 500 employers just in telecom alone. That's right. You hear a lot from these leaders. What are their biggest challenges right now? And then what opportunities are you seeing in the industry for them? Prior to the slowdown that we've had here in the industry over the past, I would say five to six months, it was, I cannot find enough skilled employees. That skilled workforce is definitely an impediment. But unfortunately, as we all know, within the industry, we're in a little bit of a downturn. The roller coaster of the industry in wireless is currently in a bit of a down dip. So right now it's more of the stress and the pressure of how do they keep the lights on? How do they keep their workforce? Because for so long, they've had to hire, 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 hire just to meet the demands. The slowdown has taken place is how do we retain our workforce without losing everything that we've invested to train, really educate on the best practices of the industry? So I believe some of the challenges that I'm seeing is we're so dependent on the wireless component that as the ebb and flows occur, we're constantly in a pressure point of either having to right size or having to upskill accordingly. And that's something that I think as an industry, we are struggling with right now. One of the opportunities that I think is directly in front of us though, Carrie, is that with the bead funding that is coming down from the infrastructure bill. This just might be the right time for us as telecom employers to really diversify, increase the number of clients that we support so that we have a little more flexibility to really support our businesses, our employees, the families who have dedicated their careers to us, while also making sure that we are providing a value proposition to the industry because Telecom is a lot broader than it used to be. The moment that I saw Nate change from the National Association of Tower Erectors to a much broader encapsulation, I believe that as an industry, we almost have to follow suit. I think they are an incredible association that is really leading the way. So when you see them do something like that, 
is because they've now had to add other employers because broadband telecom is much, much broader than just the macro site and the 200 foot surrounding that tower. I just believe that many of the employers that we support carry, they already have the trucks, they have the human capital, they already know the employees that they do have and their skill levels. And yes, there is an investment on the capital to buy the fiber, there's the splicing or the OTDR or the cleavers or all of those other pieces. But I think there might be an opportunity for these employers to truly look at who are the recipients of these awards on the beat side, because they don't have to be the recipients, right, Carrie? They could literally be one of the contributors. And if you are a contributor and you expand your business and you limit some of your risk, I believe that the opportunities really do exist specifically at the end of this month when some of the beat funds are going to start to get awarded, will be released. I think that's when, as an industry, we're going to be able to look at, boy, what would it take for me to diversify my existing workforce to also support some of the middle mile, last mile fiber requirements, truly this infrastructure bill opportunity through bead. And what steps do I need to take in order to ensure that I cross-pollinate my staff so that even if I have someone that might be burning out or someone that I have a vertical that's slowing down on the macro side, maybe I can put them on the fiber side so that we can continue to conduct business, provide services, stay in business and thrive. Yes, I agree with you. So how big of a lift is that? So we have, obviously, there's quite a few people and on the wireless side that are available right now. And so what would it take to upskill, reskill, make that transition from the wireless to the fiber side? I mean, is it is it simply taking one of your courses, being trained internally? How heavy of a lift is that? Depending on the employer. So let's say you have an employer that has 20 trucks. They already have, let's say, 100 technicians or 50 technicians, whatever the case may be. I believe those organizations, if they can really look at, do they want to make the capital investment? Do they want to go for a 7A loan that allows them to obtain the capital to buy the assets because it is an asset-based expansion. The moment that they quantify how much of an investment they want to make, it's really seeing who can they serve. There are organizations, for example, I know that on wireline side, if you work with Mostec, I know that they have a training program that allows them to take their technicians work with Mostec, have them trained up so that they can then become a vendor. There's a lot of other organizations, not just Mostec, that do that. And for those organizations that don't have a vertical in place, we've created a boot camp for experienced men and women in the industry to come to a three-day boot camp here in Tampa, Florida. We're going to house them. We're going to feed them directly from the employer, remove that cost from the employer. We'll take that on. As long as they fly in their employees, we'll train them in a three-day boot camp. We'll give them the necessary skills to understand the structured cable requirements. And then equally as important, focus on really the splicing, the testing, and the enclosures. So it is a three-day program that's 12 hours a day. It's very aggressive. They have to pass all their competencies. They have to do all their enclosures, all their trays, X number of splices at under 0.2 dBs of loss. But at the end of the day, it's just a framework that minimizes the amount of downtime for the technician so that the employer is not incurring tons of opportunity loss. Because for every day that an individual is not billing, it is truly opportunity loss for the employer. So we made it just as a very aggressive, intensive, hands-on program to, again, provide that opportunity. But I am hoping that uh, employers within the wireless space are really keeping their eyes open for that because these opportunities are going to continue to increase. They're going to become a lot more available. You know, notice that from BEAD, each state has a broadband office that's now creating subcommittees within different regions 
to represent that state that will then providing be providing the RFPs that we can participate in. So that if you have a brick and mortar in a specific city and state that you identify from your broadband office, exactly what committee represents that region so that you in your own backyard can support that bead infrastructure uplift that's going to be taking place. So yeah. Oh my goodness. It's also feels like a potential solution to our workforce crisis, especially on the fiber broadband side. So excited to talk more about that. Yeah. It's just so amazing for some of our employers. I have really good friends right now in the industry, Gary, where I've now known them for five years. I'm entering our fifth year here at LAC supporting telecom. And we've made great friends. I mean, some of these men and women are the reason why we've gotten to where we are. They've given us the feedback. They're part of our curriculum committee teams. They're the ones that tell us, the academics, what's right, what's wrong, what needs to be adjusted. And I'm seeing a lot of my friends suffer where they're questioning, do I do the reduction now? And because this is now my second time in five years, Carrie, I'm starting to practice insanity. So I don't really want to see my friends practice insanity. There has to be a resolution to this Peaks Valley's roller coaster experience because it's a phenomenal industry. We just love to see my friends and the families that they serve not be in such a pressure cooking situation where they are stressed out about, do I make a decision to riff people to right size? Because I don't know how long this storm will last. I'm hoping that this discussion between you and I, it'll just create a little more awareness for people to pay attention to where are those beat funds going to come from? Boy, do I know anybody at my broadband office in the state that I represent? Do I know the committee within my state that represents my area? And if they haven't, then hopefully they're taking notes right now, making that an action item that they take. And Carrie, I'm also supporting this with an article with Inside Towers under the Nate Committee will be released, I believe it's in September, and that will actually go into this in even greater detail. This is our opportunity to shine and diversify. I just don't know if we're going to get another opportunity again. It's not a silver bullet, but it is a start. Inspirational. So you're in the academic world. and. Yes. How is it changing? What's transforming there? I know that there's, you have a vision and we'll talk about that sure. as well in a minute and how you're scaling your company to a national footprint, but what's happening in academia? It's interesting because it's evolving, but the one thing that we're seeing a lot right now is on the workforce side, things are becoming a lot cleaner and clearer because of the competencies that are associated, whether it's on the small cell, the fiber or the macro side. Academically speaking, the labs the equipment, the hands-on experiences, the virtual reality, it's a little more fine-tuned. What we're seeing a challenge right now is really on the workforce side in identifying, educating, and providing that career exploration to men and women that are not in the industry to kind of support the fact that we do have an aging workforce, carry. We have an aging workforce outside of our industry, outside of LAC. I do know that there is a bit of an impact in trying to retain people. And many times when they leave, they may not be staying within the industry. So how do we attract people into our industry when unemployment is under 4%? How do we attract people? And yes, we've had a great deal of success with veterans, but there's got to be other ways to attract other individuals in different areas, which is where the T-Mobile Next Tech Diversity Program has been a big opportunity. We've been able to go to economically challenged areas, which unfortunately are predominantly supported by black and brown individuals. And we're going to those communities, letting them know there is an opportunity in telecom. When I see academia and workforce, the academic component now seems to be very consistent. We have to be as flexible as tinfoil. Every quarter with our committee, we have to take their advice. We have to 
take their opinions into account, make the modifications to our content to meet those requirements. Many times the interpretation of what we think needs to be provided and what the industry states are totally different. So academically speaking, thanks to our employers, they give us the necessary feedback for us to change our content accordingly. But we're still struggling right now with really enticing people into telecom as a whole because it's not easy work, Carrie. This is difficult. I mean, it's working in the elements. It's working at heights. It's working in teams, in extreme heat, extreme cold. It is not the most attractive. So we're trying to get now into the youth, academically speaking. We have 65 young men and women that are juniors and seniors in high schools here at our facility for the week. They're doing a four-day career exploration, 5G career exploration class. They're getting a lot I of- I love that. Yes, yes. In our community, Carrie, here in Tampa Bay. Yeah. So from Pasco, Hernando, Pinellas, and Hillsborough, we've got young men and women here. They've declared that they don't want to go to college. So they've come here. We're kind of showing them by the time they leave tomorrow, they've already spliced. They're learning how to use an OTDR. They're getting some of the basics to understand, boy, can I see myself doing this? So they can then go back and tell their parents. They can then tell everybody else about it because we got to get the word of mouth to everyone, including our youth, to make that happen. I do think that on a national footprint, LAC, yes, we're here we have a location in Dallas. Yes, we had, we're going to have a location in Seattle here shortly. But I believe that academically, some of the community colleges and state colleges, I would love to see them continue to evolve. Some of their big impediments, Carrie, will always be that for them to hire an instructor to go get the equipment. It's a very expensive deliverable, right? So something that we're doing academically is by the end of this quarter is we're going to have an academic program already created where a two-year community college can basically say, you know what, I want to add a telecom 5G program. And most of them are landlocked, so they're tied to their county, like we are here in, in Tampa, right? So Hillsborough Community College doesn't step place in Pinellas County because that's not their region. That's the politics of being a public entity. However, I don't necessarily know whether I have enough jobs here in Hillsborough County to support a 50-person graduating class, 200 people a year here in Tampa, right? And if I spread it out into all three programs, I'm going to be running, what, three classes of five here just for Hillsborough County? It's not financially sustainable. Does that make sense? Right. With our program, carry, it allows them to basically look at an edit-to-go methodology where we are the delivery agent for them. It becomes a revenue share. They don't have to worry about getting the equipment, hiring the instructors or anything, because they'll be able to leverage us. They will be the school of record and we will be the academic provider. We provide the instructor, the virtual reality, the curriculum, and we can then support their ecosystem. So they don't have to take on any expenses, but just support the requirements of the employers in their community. And that's scalable. Yes, ma'am. It is. Wow. Because if you put a $500,000 price tag on setting up a tower fiber program, and an academic institution does that, and within the first five years, they don't get the right throughput of attendance, that program will die. And if you look across the country, there's been many academic institutions that have attempted that, and they haven't been very successful because it's expensive. First, it's hard to find an instructor that meets all the academic requirements, right? right. Then you've got to retain that individual, and then you've got to go recruit the individuals that in their community to try to fill those jobs. And you've got to be blessed enough to have the employee relationships in order to keep that going. That's just a massive undertaking. It is. Let's talk more about finding the people. 
the students, right? The people who have an interest in the telecommunications industry. And where do you find them? I mean, where do you go? Are there any interesting, creative strategies that you're using? I mean, I think that's another thing we struggle with, even with unskilled labor, right? But you have the model, you've got a phenomenal opportunity here, but we still have to have the actual people. For sure. We receive about 1,200 applicants a month. Wow. So out of those 12,000 applicants, we have to vet through them all. And the goal is to identify typically about 1,000 men and women that are truly interested. Wait, did you say 1,200 or 12,000? 12,000. Okay, so you get 12,000 yes. inquiries. Okay, I gotta know what your marketing plan is. This is awesome. So that's, yeah, no, that's- it's phenomenal. So we may be an educational organization, but we're really heavily focused on our marketing, not just right. our point per click campaigns, not just PPC, but a lot of our, our backlinking that occurs in that space. We've also had a lot of success working with uh, faith-based institutions in a lot of the different areas that I believe in. You know the area where we live in, right, Carrie? Yes. Well, there's the St. Pete area. In the St. Pete area, there are a couple of great pastors that have an incredible flock. And what's really crazy about it is the level of diversity that is associated with that flock. So we've been able to go to some of those areas, identify some key leaders, and then really engage. Right now, a lot of the nonprofit organizations, the urban institutes, there's just a lot of great organizations out there that are serving. There are many workforce development boards, and we just collaborate very closely with many of them from housing authorities, to workforce boards, to faith-based institutions, to then traditional marketing campaigns. And the goal is to really kind of cover in a blanket format, a very simple message, because what we're trying to do is greatest amount of awareness, mm -hmm. just enough of a message to say, huh, that's interesting. Don't know what that means, but I want to know more. And then just engage in that so that we can provide them through trip campaigns, information about the different type of jobs. So that if at any point they are willing and able to click and learn more, they can see the curricula, they can see videos. I mean, we're, again, very blessed to have an incredible association that innate, that provides so much content. They provide videos with the movie that they put out. In That's Vertical awesome. Freedom. Yes. It is incredible. So okay, we just use that. Yeah. We use that as a platform to demonstrate to people that our phones that work from pixie dust, that are brave men and women that climb towers, get on top of buildings or use bucket trucks to actually do the setups. And it's just creating awareness. So there's 12,000 interest a month. We historically talked to about a thousand of them. And that's how we historically gain our hundred students a month. So I know when we've spoken before, you mentioned something about people transitioning from prison. Speak yes, more about think, that. Is that an opportunity as well? And, and how do we get there from here? Carrie, I'm struggling with a couple of things there. If I'm being very sincere, I believe that when men and women do their time in prison, right, whatever it may be, let's say it's a nonviolent crime. It's just an individual that has hit bottom that now wants to be a sustainable member of society, right? The concern is that when they come out, they still have to serve a seven-year sentence because they can't pass a background check. Right. Right. So we don't want reviticism. We've got to figure out a way in policy to try to help those men and women obtain high-skilled, high-wage careers that allow them to be self-sustaining. So yes, there's a great opportunity for us to focus on the re-entry population. I am very excited. There's three different opportunities that I have right now for the great state of Florida for us to support that re-entry population 
but I'm afraid to move forward with it because unless we get support from the carriers and the tower owners, that they will support some sort of an, a system that does not require for them to pass a seven-year background check. What is the point of us serving and training men and women to get their hopes up in a high-skilled, high-wage, targeted occupation, only to know that when they come out of prison and they try to gain employment, no one will give them employment because they cannot meet the seven-year background check. So if there is a way to fix that, I would be all ears. If anyone is listening and they have a resolution to that, or they want to participate on how we can lobby to make that change happen so we can build the right policy, I will stand in my soapbox and I will support that for as much as I can. I will tell you firsthand, we are a second chance employer. We have multiple employees that serve their time. And as crazy as it sounds, they have turned out to be great individuals because they're grateful for the opportunity. They're grateful for the ability to have a career, not a job, a career where they can squint hard enough and see that there is a future that allows them to serve their families financially to put food on the table. And then it gives them hope that whatever get them to where they were is no longer a path that they have to take because there is a path directly in front of them. So mm-hmm. yeah, Carrie, I think policy is the next impact. Right now, I, I'm lacking the confidence to communicate that opportunity to someone that's incarcerated with clear knowledge that they're not going to be able to be employed. Right. I totally understand that. And it happens with us in staffing where we have someone who was transitioning and then they have a background and then we have to tell them, no, you're not able to have this job. And it's tough, especially when we're in the middle of this this workforce challenge, crisis, whatever you want to call it, especially Mm -hmm. on the fiber side. And it's tough. I mean, we need people. So it is a challenge, but again, it's a big mountain to climb. It is. <laughs> it's a really big mountain to climb, especially with the bigger companies who, who have very strict policies in place across the board. But I think yes. it's definitely something to ta- start talking about, start having dialogue about. And like you said, get the message out, get the word out. And that's what's important. Take that a little further, though. So we went from having roughly around 1,400 job openings on the macro side to now we're roughly 350 openings. So when the employers basically come on board, they're letting us know what are the requisitions so that we know exactly where they need them so we can engage in our marketing campaigns to attract the talent, let them know about the careers, bring them in, train them, certify them, and then give them to the employers, right? But on the macro side, that has shrunk from that 1,400-ish a month to roughly around three, 350. But when you look at the fiber side, now on a national footprint, we went from maybe 150 to 200 potential openings a month, but we're now slightly under a 1,000. Wow. That has tripled in demand. So at the end of the day, yes, we are having some impediments on the macro side and a lot of our friends are feeling it, but the opposite in that same requirement, they need people. If we cannot come up with an incarceration solution to allow those men and women to work, we're never going to really fix the problem. We're just going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul because the competitor is going to call, talk to your employee, offer them a dollar more, and we're going to lose a skilled workforce member, a critical member of our team, just because there's no funnel. I think there's something to be said there. I just have to say amen to that. So I think, boy, I love this. Thinking about losing someone to a dollar more an hour, what are some retention strategies for technicians and field workers? Like what makes them stick and stay? So we've really seen a great deal of success through the apprenticeships, Carrie. Apprenticeships have really been a key piece to retention 
from what we've noticed from our alumni, since we've had a significant amount of alumni now in the industry, try to do an analysis of how many men and women are still within their employers and why did they leave? And you'd be surprised. But the story of somebody leaving for a dollar, maybe slightly less, that is a fact. And we were able to confirm that from our alumni. So that is a scary component. When you ask them why they left, the key answer was because they had no idea when they were going to get their next increase and what they needed to do skills or competency wise in order to obtain that. So when you really look at the apprenticeship framework, what's really successful is you can grab someone, put them as an apprentice, and you know that over the next 2000 hours, which defines the next work here for them, these are the skills, the competencies that you need to achieve. This is the related technical instruction, 174 hours of uh, this learning. So you specialize in X, Y, and Z. And that in exchange, as you achieve these milestones, you also get a wage increase. So that's really been a big component of opportunity. It has been that opportunity to provide clarity, transparency between the employer and the employee on exactly where they are and where they're going. And so what we do here at Learning Alliance is we provide a success coach. We provide mentors, we provide subject matter experts, and then we provided the system so that we have one individual that's managing the apprentices, contacting them on a biweekly basis, making sure that they're progressing in the apprenticeship management system, doing their RTI, logging in their hours on the OJT. And then we're working with the mentors to ensure that, hey, Johnny needs help in blueprinting. That's the next competency. Let's identify a work order that allows them to practice that skill set so that we can apply it and support it. And then we just kind of support that ecosystem of we're always constantly learning. We're always constantly developing. And in exchange, all parties win. You as an employee, you get better, you get wiser, you become better. You truly become a skilled individual. And when you check off the competency, the reason why the Department of Labor requires 2,000 hours is because you have to master that, Carrie. So you may be able to do a splice now, but you need time in order to master it. So through a lot of these apprenticeship structures, it's just a one-year milestone. It's a perfect carrot where, again, an apprentice can sweat hard enough and see a year down the road and know that they're going to get a dollar at the six-month mark, another dollar at the one-year mark. If I'm at $20 an hour, I'm a greenhorn. I just came in. I know that I'll be at $22 an hour at the end of year one. And I'm not going to leave because Johnny down the street is offering me a dollar more because I'm at 20. And I have no clue or understanding that I've got 22 in the bag. That's what the apprenticeship does. It tells them that there's 22 in the bag. If you do what you need to do, you show up on time, you get your job done, do your RTI, complete your on-the-job training, you've got $2 in the bag. That makes it a lot harder for someone to poach your employees. But it also becomes a tool, by the way, Carrie. An apprenticeship, if you're an employer and you have an apprenticeship program, that should help you attract more talent. Yes. So tell me more about how you partner with companies. Let's go a little deeper there. Sure. So again, very blessed to work with 480 employers, just slightly under 500. And we've got multiple ways that we support them. One is if they're in a very difficult area to attract talent, a lot of the Michigan, the, those states where it's extremely cold and hard to find a someone that wants to climb in the middle of the winter. So we work with many different ways. Let's say that someone wants to be in the industry, but let's say they're not a veteran, so they don't have a GI Bill. Let's assume that they're not a minority. Therefore, they don't qualify for the Next Tech Diversity Program. Let's assume that it's just an individual that wants to come into the industry, but they don't qualify for any of our funding programs. Well, then 
they can work with our financial institutions. We've raised over $8 million with financial institutions in order to provide credit to students where if an employer says, I'm looking for a tower or a fiber tag, yes, I'm willing to pay the $6,500 for the fiber program. And as a retention tool to the student, they don't pay the monthly payment associated with their tuition. So let's say the monthly payment is $140. Well, the employer states, I will take care of that $140 payment every month when you come on board. And for as long as you stay as our employee, we will take care of that monthly payment as a retention tool. Those are some of the creative ways that we've been able to work to attract people into the industry and then get them employed and then have a relationship between the employer and the employee where there is a retention mechanism that is outlined with an apprenticeship program so that that individual earns while they learn. And if they didn't have a financial ability to pay for their tuition, that there is a financial institution with an $8 million raise that we've been able to do to provide that as a backup with the employer making the payment as a retention component. And that's been very successful. But those are some of the weird, crazy ways, Carrie, that we've just figured out a way to support the industry, support our employers. I mean, we do so many things for employers, Carrie. We're doing everything from providing them with a learning management system, an apprenticeship management system, a single sign-on API so that when they onboard an employee, automatically their credentials are created via single sign-on. We're providing a credentialing system, which is a digital passport with all their certifications that they could be at a job site. OSHA could show up. They click on a QR code. All their credentials are readily available. We're providing a mentor apprentice methodology for them to track and submit a ticket so that if Cesar is really failing with his closeout packages, I can go in there. My mentor, you, can go in there and say, Cesar's got to work on closeout packages because he's got a 10% closeout package failure rate, which impacts my ability to bill, which means everybody loses, right? But how to create that system that empowers apprentices, employees, mentors, or top hands, right, or foremen to communicate on best practices in a very healthy format that does not require people yelling at each other or being upset with one another. Cesar, I hear so much about workforce challenges. And when I talk to you, I just hear solutions, right? I hear solutions. I hear strategies. And it's so inspirational. What you've created, I just want to congratulate you, but not just for what you created, but your heart is in it. Like you have a purpose, you have a mission, and it's way bigger, way bigger than business. And it's just such an inspiration. Every time I'm with you, I just feel like jumping on a whiteboard and start creating something amazing to solve all the problems of our industry. Let's collaborate. That's that's what we <laughs> should be do doing, it. Carrie. Let's continue to collaborate. What I do like is that it wasn't just us, Carrie. It really wasn't. There's a lot of great companies out there that we partner with. There's just a lot of really great people that have supported. So this wasn't just because Cesar or LAC did anything. This was truly a significant amount of employers that put in their effort, their time, gave us feedback. We weren't always this clean, right? (laughs) We started a program that was two weeks long. Now we're five weeks long, right? We started a program that didn't really have guys climbing at height. Now they're climbing at height. We were having them climb at the end of the program. Well, we learned that that's not the right time. So there's been a lot of cause and effect and we've learned quite a bit, but I really do pray that we can continue to get the industry to continuously talk about the things that we don't want to talk about or that 
may seem a little confrontational because as soon as we create that awareness for better or for worse, we bring it to light. And when things are brought to light, they can be addressed. But I don't believe our workforce situation is going to be fixed anytime soon. I pray that we as an industry, academic institutions can build a sustainable ecosystem. I do believe we have to get better at diversifying ourselves so that we're not a one-trick pony just doing wireless with only maybe three customers. I believe we have to diversify that. I believe that it only makes sense for us to cross-train our employees and our workforce so that someone that may be tired of climbing for seven months straight can maybe go do some small cell installation or fiber middle mile or last mile. There's just so many ways that we can collaborate and talk out loud so that the ugly can be brought to light and then it can be addressed as a future resolution. So that's hoping that we get out of all of this. Cesar, where can we reach you? Your website. You yes. know, I'm sure there's so many people in the audience that are saying, okay, I want to know more. So Carrie, I would say go to mylearningalliance.com. So again, mylearningalliance.com, all one word. I know horrible domain, insanely long, Trust me, I know that now, but that was then, this is now. MyLearningAlliance.com, go to contact us. And then there's a form, a feedback form. Someone puts in their email address, first, last name, and then in the message, put in there what they're interested in. Are they interested in the workforce component? Are they looking for the apprenticeship solution? Are they looking to identify their next generational workforce? They want us to identify their next technicians. Do they want us to help with their retention? components. What are they seeking? How can we serve? And there's a lot of information, not just about our programs, but our apprenticeship solutions and that our non-credit programs, our non-academic programs that are through continuing education that can also support a lot of their learning and development. So that if they want to basically minimize waste and rework and they want to enter one of our diploma programs that are focused on Lean Sigma, to minimize waste, rework, inefficiency, and scrap. A lot of the methodologies that we're applying to our closeout package class, then absolutely. Let us know, what is your biggest pain? So if you're listening right now, tell me what keeps you up at night or let us know how we could serve an area of opportunity and then allow us and uh, our team. Fortunately, we're, we're surrounded by great people here, Carrie. They believe the we mission. Yes. They believe why we're here. We serve the industry, we support yeah. one another. So as long as they let us know and they click the submit button, they will hear from us within historically 48 hours. And at that point, we can engage in intelligent conversations to determine how can we serve them best. Somebody that submitted about three weeks ago, and we were able to identify them to participate with one of our grants. Grant season starting. So most state budgets begin on July 1. For those that don't know, over the past uh, 20 years, uh, we have been a grant writing firm. Uh, we've written over 350 grants. We've uh, received in, uh, millions of dollars in awards, and that's how we've served our employers. But there's some pretty key timelines. July 1 forward is a state year. October 1 forward is a federal year. So whether it's federal or state, uh, basically a lot of those funds are going to become available in the next six weeks or and forward. So again, whether it's in the grant space, workforce development, retention, upskilling, go to the website, 
put in the information. Let me know how we can serve. Zara, thank you so much for having a conversation with me today. This has just been fantastic and you make a difference in the industry. I appreciate you having this podcast and bringing in so many different organizations and different opinions on how things are taking place. You know, maybe in the future, we can bring one of our employers in so we can talk about how what we've done has impacted their organizations, how maybe they can talk about what is workforce development for their companies, right? That's a great Um, idea. I love and, it. And maybe for you, and maybe for you, maybe you can also serve them with staffing because yeah. even in this environment, everyone's still needing that one individual. So you just let me know how I can serve Carrie. I will be at a moment's notice and I appreciate you for everything that you do. Thank you for having me on, on this podcast and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Cesar. We will talk very soon. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.